one of the most important tools in any war isn't ammunition. It isn't, frankly, even a battle plan. One of the most essential weapons that any army has is communication. The ability to communicate to those on the front line or those in command is essential to winning any battle. Imagine yourself on the front lines, unable to communicate the need for supplies. Maybe perhaps telling the command where the enemy lies or, or perhaps how the enemy has laid a trap. Communication is essential to overcoming the enemy and rightly directing troops to fight, to overcome. In spiritual warfare, communication is all the more essential. Without it, we have no ability to call headquarters and to report the needs we have. John Piper, in his his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, likens prayer to a wartime walkie-talkie. He writes this, Prayer is primarily a walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. This morning we want to think about the need to have a diligent prayer life because of the spiritual warfare we're in. If we rightly understand that we are on the front lines of a spiritual war, then we need to see that we need a tool called prayer to communicate back to headquarters, to communicate back so that we can get the ready supplies that we need. Now, we've been thinking in this last chapter of Ephesians about this spiritual war. Paul has begun by exhorting us to be strong in the Lord. In other words, we're to find our strength in this spiritual battle, not in and of ourselves. We're not to be courageous, if you will, and and pull ourselves up, but rather to find the strength comes from the Lord, that he is our strength. And that we are to stand firm in the Lord's strength by putting on this armor that that was wore by Christ as he vanquished the enemy. And so as we put on the armor of God, that main exhortation we thought about last week is we're to stand firm. We're to stand strong. We're to stand our ground. Nowhere in the text are we told that we are, you know, moving forward on the offensive, but rather we're to stand to stand firm in the strength of Christ. And so this morning, we're going to think a little bit more about the application of the armor. Uh, We're going to think more about how these pieces get put on, and that being through prayer, through prayer. So I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Paul writes, Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
Well, as we think about this text this morning, we could see that prayer is a, is a central theme of this. What's Paul's point? Well, I've summarized the, the point of the sermon in this way. Christians stand firm in the Lord as they persistently and comprehensively depend on God through prayer. In short, brother, sister, be diligent in prayer. Be diligent in prayer. So the purpose of our time this morning is to really give you and I a feeling sense of our need for a consistent prayer life, a consistent time, a diligent time. And I chose the word diligent intentionally because prayer is never easy. There will never be a season of your life where prayer is easy. Never. When it's going good, we know that we lack prayer because we have found a sense of self-sufficiency. We're going about life. It's good. I seem to be doing things okay on my own and I don't need God. In the midst of trial, sometimes it's difficult for us to pray because, well, frankly, we're mad at God. And we don't really want to talk to the God who has led us into this trial. And so sometimes we find it, frankly, hard to pray to a God who would allow us to suffer. Prayer is never easy, but you and I must fight against those temptations and create and cultivate in our lives a diligent prayer life. And so this morning, I want to show you really six ways that we are to be diligent in prayer. Paul packs these verses just brimming full of, of ways that you and I are to be diligent in prayer. So if you take notes, there's six points to this sermon, um, and I'll give you those six points now. First, we are to pray continually. Pray continually. Secondly, we are to pray worshipfully. There should be a worshipful spirit in our prayer, uh, not drudgery. Third, we are to pray comprehensively. Uh, the comprehensive nature to our prayer life. Fourth, we will see in the text that we are to pray alertly. Uh, there should be a, a sense of urgency in our prayers. An alertness to the spiritual war in front of us. Fifthly, we are to pray with an intercessory spirit. Pray on behalf of others. And sixth, and finally, we are to pray evangelistically. As we see Paul inviting the church in Ephesus to pray for the evangelism efforts that he is embarking upon. So let's look at these six points this morning. First, look at verse 18. We are to pray continually. To pray continually. Notice what Paul says here. Pray at all times. Pray at all times. Pray consistently, Paul says. Pray always. Now, I just want to note a few things here in verse 18. Notice Paul's repetition of the word all. The word all. All times, all prayer, all perseverance, all saints. Paul here is using that word intentionally as a play on words to emphasize the consistent, ongoing prayers of the saints. In other words, there's this sort of continual ongoing. Well, we know the passage well, right? In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Right? In other words, Paul envisions a Christian life where one is continually talking to God. Surely you found yourself doing that. Maybe it's driving in the car. You just get the sense of urgency just to cry out to God. And you're just talking. Or, or you're uh, pouring a cup of coffee. Or you're getting the kids ready for school. You're, you're praying, right? 
You're praying. You're, you're constantly thinking, God, I need help in this time. God, I, God thank you. Or, or there's just a moment you, you, you're reminded of God's grace and you just spontaneously begin to cry out, God, thank you for saving me. I am a wretched sinner. I do not deserve your grace. As Christians, we want to cultivate in our lives a, a continual time, a consistent time. Paul here has in his mind a believer who is finding all occasions to pray. Brother, sister, do you find occasions that are more difficult to pray in? As I mentioned a few just a moment ago. Maybe, maybe for you it's, it's a real struggle when, when, when you're on easy street and things are going well. There's no real conflict going on in your life. You know, your health seems to be okay. Uh, your, your kids are okay. The grandkids seem to be somewhat behaving themselves. Um, you know, things just seem to be okay. There's money in the bank. There's, there's no tragedy. Do you find yourself struggling to pray in those moments? Maybe perhaps not knowing what to pray for. You're like, what do I put on my list? There's, there's no need. There's no one hurting. There's no one in the hospital. There's no one sick. So it's so easy for us when we're constantly in the mode of thinking physical things to pray for, that when there's no physical need, we don't pray. So one way we can counteract that is to pray spiritual things, to pray not only for spirit, uh, physical matters, but also for spiritual matters, to pray that, to understand, I pray for the salvation of my, my children or my grandchildren or my neighbor, or my coworker. I just pray for my own soul, pray the soul of my spouse, or so on and so forth. Perhaps also one way that we can help in, the, in those good seasons of life is to cultivate regular time where we do pray. In other words, we're proactive in our prayer time, not reactive. I bet you're like me. You're reactive in prayer rather than proactive. In other words, what, what that means is you only pray when there's a reactive need, right? I have no money, therefore I'm going to pray, right? Uh, I have to take care of my kids. I don't know what I'm doing, uh, right? I need to pray. Uh, there, there's this sort of sense of urgency in that. But, but proactive prayer life, when you are proactive in prayer, you will find yourself praying in all seasons of life, not only the bad seasons. The, the hard seasons, the trials of life. Of, of course, no one here this morning would argue that we don't need to pray in the midst of difficulty. So, friend, this morning, do you set aside a regular time to just to cry out to God in prayer? You will not do it if you do not make the time. If you do not set aside a time and say, this is my prayer time this is not my coffee time. This is not my conversation time. This is not my Facebook time. This is not anything else time. This is God time. It's not Bible reading time. It's just talking to God time. Let me just encourage you this morning to, to set aside a time. Put it on your phone. Write it down. Whatever you need to do to make it a consistent time in your life. Look, the holidays are coming up, the busyness of all of that. Don't wait until after. Don't, don't fall into the trap of, well, I'll deal with it after the, 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 the new year. No. Set aside time this week. If you're an early riser, get up early. If you're, if you're a late, you know, late at night owl, stay up late, whatever it takes, but pray. And when you pray, 
truly pray? Have a, have a feeling sense of God's power, his strength, his ability. Uh, remember that passage in Ephesians 2. Pray this. If you don't know what to pray, pray these prayers that Paul has given us here in, in Ephesians. Remember Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work, not out there, but in here. Remember his strength and his ability. Cultivate this time by meditating on your need for him. Friend, remember, you will never pray if you don't think you need to pray. Prayerlessness is one of the most evident pictures of pride in your life and in my life. Our prayerlessness reminds us of our pride, David. Because frankly, the reason we don't pray is because we've got life under control, under our own strength, under our own power. We can fix it. It is only when we come to the end of ourselves and recognize that I am insufficient. I do not have the power. That we will cultivate that time of prayer. A diligent prayer life begins with a continual prayer life. If you don't carve out the time, you won't be diligent to pray. End of the story. Secondly, we see here in verse 18 that we are to pray worshipfully. Worshipfully. Look here at what he says in verse 18. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Well, what does Paul mean here? Does he mean some sort of speaking in tongues kind of thing? Not at all. In the spirit means to pray worshipfully. Let's be honest. You don't pray because it's drudgery. It's boring. I love Don Whitney, his book, Praying the Bible. He says, you know, we pray the same old prayers the same old way. And it's just frankly boring. And so we don't pray. I mean, I'm not going to be bored for fun, right? I'm not going to just naturally want to bore myself. And so naturally, because I just pray the same old things, I get my old little piece of paper out that's got all my prayers, and I just go down the list, and, you know, just kind of checking it off. And it's just drudgery. It's boring. It's, it's lifeless. There's no spirit in it. It's, there's no vitality, no excitement. So I don't pray. But to pray in the spirit is to pray with an attitude of worship, an attitude of awe that the eternal God of the universe would allow me to speak to him. That I have access to God. You see, we pray like entitled, spoiled brats. We do. We're like that little spoiled kid that just is constantly, mommy, mommy, I want this. I want that. You, you get them right at the checkout line. You just want to like reach over and tell that kid what's up. It's my own kid. I can do it. All right. Um, but we do. We, we think we're entitled to God. We think we're entitled to a God who can hear and answer our prayers. No, it is immense privilege. That is, that is only given to us because of our union with Christ. Only because of our faith in Christ do we have access to the Father in prayer. To pray in the Spirit is to pray with this attitude of awe in the eternal God who is able to do something with what I'm praying. Friend, there is something amazing when I pray and I see God answer it. Isn't it? Is there something amazing when you pray persistently and diligently in your life and then all of a sudden God answers that prayer? 
Maybe not yesterday or the day after. Maybe it was months or weeks or years. And friend, do you recount the many prayers that we pray on this stage that God has patiently and faithfully answered in the last four or five years? I mean, just amazing. And it's not because of who's praying, trust me. It's because God desires us to worship him through prayer. Paul writes this in Romans 8.15, For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit as adoption as son. The spirit of adoption as sons, rather, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In Romans chapter 8, we're, we're taught by the Apostle Paul that the spirit prays for us when we can't pray. To pray in the spirit. Is, is prayer for you just drudgery or is it delight? Do you find joy in prayer? Brother, sister, may we marvel at the wonder of prayer. May we worship in the Spirit, praying, Father, help me to pray. David regularly in the Psalms is praying that he could pray. It's, it's amazing. You find yourself there? Why don't you begin your prayers with, God, help me to pray. I can't. I don't know what to say. I don't even know what to do. I'm at the end of myself. Pray that you can pray. Are we committed to this regular prayer life? We must not allow ourselves to drift into sort of mere obligation, but to continue to delight in the Lord and the privilege to speak to God. Paul goes on and, and gives us yet another way to be diligent in our prayer life. Look here at verse 18 again. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Notice what he says, with all prayer and supplication. In other words, the means of a diligent prayer life is a comprehensive prayer life. I hinted at this just a moment ago when we were talking about how we just pray uh, for physical needs rather than spiritual needs. Notice here, Paul here is exhorting us to sort of a persistent and comprehensive prayer time with all prayer and, and all supplication. Paul here is imagining all these various types of prayer in the Christian life. Brother, let me, brother sister, let me just exhort you to expand your prayer list. Expand your prayer list by praying for spiritual needs. Don't, don't merely have your prayer list just sort of cobbled up with this long physical thing. Nothing wrong with praying for physical needs. In fact, we see examples of physical needs. But you'll see Paul here, right here in this passage, in the context of this text, he doesn't pray for physical needs, but spiritual needs. One way that we can develop this sort of comprehensive and I think diligent prayer life is when we have more things to pray for, when we broaden our horizons a bit and become more comprehensive in our prayer time. You see here, fourthly, also that a diligent prayer life is an alert prayer life. To that end, he says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You might think that his exhortation to keep alert with perseverance has really nothing to do, but in the context of this, he's not left prayer. He's still talking about prayer. He's saying pray alertly. If you pray regularly, and you understand what prayer is, that, that it's that, you know, using Piper's illustration of that wartime walkie-talkie. If you understand that prayer, you're praying because you're in the midst of a spiritual battle, a spiritual war around you, and you understand where you're at, there's a sense of alertness, isn't it? 
when you pick up the walkie-talkie to call headquarters, there's a sense of alert. I'm doing this because there's an evident need, right? I'm picking up the phone to call somebody because there's a, there's a need. And Paul here says that prayer gives us a sense of alertness. It reminds us that we need to be awake. That there is a spiritual war around us. Paul tells the church in Colossae to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer is a, is a time for us to cultivate sort of a watchful spirit in our souls. An, an awareness, if you will, to the spiritual realities around us. Friend, do you believe verse 12? Look there at verse 12 again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Meditate on that text a bit. You're fighting an enemy you cannot see and an enemy who's far more superior than you, far more powerful than you, far more ingenuous than you, far, far smarter than you, who's laid traps that you cannot see, whole systems that could take down the most powerful people in the world. And you think you don't need to pray? When we see the enemy before us, our only response to that isn't like, you know, to dig in our heels and go at him. Our response is to be in fear and to then recognize our need for Christ, the one who's defeated that enemy. Brother, sister, pray alertly. Pray proactively. Friends, we don't see the need for prayer because we don't see the connection between our ability to stand against the wiles of the devil and our alert prayer life. I made this connection last week in the sense that if you're constantly thinking of people as a mission field, it's going to be less likely to be tempted by them. And frankly, if you know that a burglar is going to come by the house this afternoon and, and rob you, aren't you going to be a little bit more alert you know it's going to happen. You know he's coming. Like, you're going to be prepared, right? You're going to maybe call the police ahead of time. I don't know. You're going to do something. And friend, you've been warned in this text that the enemy is out there. That the devil is scheming against you. He is looking to take you out. It's already been told you. So let us stand firm in prayer. Richard Koken writes this, we do not need a complicated battle strategy. We just need a simple commitment to prayer. How are you going to face the temptations in your life this week? Are you going to pray about it? Oh, I hope you do. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. The Lord himself taught us to be alert in prayer to the spiritual war we're in. Diligent prayer keeps you alert to the needs of the Lord. You pray because you trust your dire situation requires the Lord's divine intervention or you will be lost. 
Fifthly, here in the text, notice here, the very end of verse 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray on behalf of others. Pray on behalf of others. This is what Paul says. A diligent prayer life is a prayer life that's not about you, but about others. Maybe you run out of things to pray for because you're just praying for yourself all the time. Paul here exhorts that we are to pray for all the saints. We're to pray for other Christians. We're to pray for brothers and sisters. We're to cultivate a regular time where we're lifting others in an intercessory way. The need for prayer reminds us of our own insufficiencies, but also of the insufficiencies of those around us. Do you regularly pray for others in your life? Do you regularly take the time to pray for the brothers and sisters in this congregation? Friends, we've offered you a tremendous tool to be able to do that. It's called our membership directory. Uh, We've printed it, not so that you can have everybody's phone numbers and, and call them or email them, but so that you can pray for them. The primary purpose of that device is for you to get it out and to open it up and to see everybody's smiling face and to pray for them, to pray for them. Right here at the very beginning of it, there's a prayer guide. Well, today's the the 15th, and so I'm going to turn to page 15 and pray for those on page 15. I hope there's people on page 15. If not, I guess I'm going to be done early. Uh, Well, there are four people on that page, and I'm going to pray for them. I don't know what to pray. I don't know Vince very well. I see him. I, I know Dave. Oh, Miss Barbara, Miss Joanne. Maybe you know them. Maybe you don't know them. Well, if you don't know them, doesn't it give you an occasion to get to know them? Next time you see them, hey, I, I prayed for you this week, but, you know, frankly, I didn't know what to pray. So I just prayed some generic prayers for you that I know the Lord will honor and and I know that he'll use in your life, but, but I want to pray more specifically. How can I pray for you? On the front here, we have a nice little guide that tells you some pray, prayers that you could pray. Pray for the preaching of God's word. Pray for your pastors. Uh, pray that our relationships will be built around the gospel. Friends, use this as a tool to pray for one another. And by doing so, your conscience doesn't have to be overburdened by your regular disobedience of this passage. How are you disobeying this verse? Paul tells us, under the inspiration, God himself is telling you that you're supposed to pray for others. So why, in such a simple, obedient... I mean, it's really simple to do, right? But we don't do it. We neglect, I neglect, to pray regularly. More than that, Jesus himself teaches us that it'll help us soften our hearts a bit bit against those who are our enemies. You know, I I find that if you regularly pray for those who you don't like, uh, that bitterness that you have towards them, that whatever it is you have about them that you just don't like them, you know, if you pray for them regularly, your heart will warm up to them a little bit. And you'll start saying, wow, they're not so bad after all. Friends, this is why Jesus taught us to do this, to pray even for those who persecute us, even those who kind of get under our skin. May we remain diligent in prayer by continually praying for others. We just go on and on about all the ways that we can pray for brothers and sisters. And and mind you, I, I just want to remind you, 
please pray for spiritual things. Let's be honest. I could be the healthiest person in this room. But if my soul is unhealthy, I am in the worst place. Nothing wrong again. But let us pray for spiritual things. Find third and, or, uh, sixthly, rather, sixth and finally, uh, here, verse 19 and 20. A diligent prayer life must include evangelistic prayers. Paul exhorts them to pray for the saints. And then he says, well, let me just apply this to your life. Pray also for me, or especially for me, he says there in verse 19. You know, if you're going to pray for saints, Paul says, can you just start with me? Pray for me. Pray for me. What does Paul ask? Look, Look here, there's two requests that Paul asks, centered around the same theme, and that is evangelism. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Number one, he prayed his prayer request that he would open his mouth, that words would be given him, a message that... Now, Paul doesn't mean, you know, a a new message, like a divine revelation. Of course, he says what the message is. It's the mystery of the gospel. In other words, he wants to proclaim the gospel. And so he's asking for the the sermon, perhaps, or the evangelistic appeal, the message that he's going to deliver. So he's asking for the message. But then secondly, you'll see in the text that he's asking not only for the message, God, give me the message to, to speak, but let me speak it boldly. See, the message that Paul was going to speak included a few things that were, were not going to really result in good things for Paul. If we place this, this book in Paul's Roman imprisonment, in other words, he's, you know, so end of Acts, uh, Paul has been sent as a prisoner of Rome. To, he's appealed to Caesar. If this is where Paul is writing from, chained to an imprisoned you see here in the text, he, he's, he's in chains. He's a, he's a, this is where he's at. And he's going to go and share this message before Caesar. That Caesar, you're not Lord. You're, you're not the supreme ruler. You see, there's another. His name is Jesus. He's the eternal son of God. And he, he came, he clothed himself in human flesh. And he lived this perfect life. And he died on the cross for the sins of all those who would repent of their sins and trust in him. And he died the death that we deserve. But, but this Jesus didn't stay dead. He, he was raised from the dead. And he, he ascended to the highest place. And he rules over all. And every tribe, tongue, and nation bow to him. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name. That is to be named, even the name of Caesar will bow before him. And he's reconciled Jew and Gentile through the work on the cross, and he's made them both one. Time out, Paul. I'm Caesar. I'm Lord. And you must worship me or die. Now, if that's, the, that's not the run-of-the-mill evangelistic conversation you and I are probably having. So naturally, it makes sense that Paul prays also. Not only the message, but also for boldness to preach the message. Friend, do we pray evangelistically? Paul's in prison. He could have prayed for his physical comfort. I'm sure in a little dark hole in the ground, cold, be nice. 
He asks for a, a robe uh, in other passages. He clearly maybe is a little chilly. He doesn't pray for any of those things. Of all the things Paul could pray for, Paul prays for the gospel to go forward. I want you to notice something here in the text in verse 20. Something quite ironic. Paul, Paul's very ironic in the way he writes many times. Notice what he writes here. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says that he is an ambassador in chains. Now we're so used to this Bible language, we're just like, okay, that's cool. What ambassador is chained up? Well, if an ambassador is chained up, there's one of two things going on here. Number one, it's an immense embarrassment to that ambassador and the one who sent him, right? An ambassador is someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. Paul is speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ, right? He's an ambassador. But this ambassador is chained up. He's locked up. ambassadors are supposed to be declaring messages, right? But this ambassador is chained up. He's locked away. It seems as if the enemy is trying to silence him, but he's still an ambassador. It's a sweet reminder to us that the gospel cannot be stopped. It can't be relegated away. It can't be chained up. It can't be locked into some corner in some closet. It can't be killed away. The gospel keeps going forward. And this is why we must pray evangelistically. We must understand that the gospel message will continue to go. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to be the ambassadors for God by by praying evangelistically. No one in your life will be saved apart from divine intervention. This is the whole thing that Nicodemus couldn't understand in John chapter 3. If you don't want to read more about what I'm, what I'm speaking of, just read John 3. John 3, 16 is in the middle of that passage, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, that whole thing is all predicated on the, the point that Jesus is making that, that God saves sovereignly. And apart from the work of man. And so we must pray, evangelism, pray for the souls of your friends and family. Pray that God would work in their lives. Use your words. Pray this. God, give me words to speak this Christmas as I sit around my heathen family members who are, who are getting themselves drunk on this world and are, who, are, who are running themselves fast and quick to hell. Pray that you would give me a word. There's not a word of condemnation, but a word of grace, of love and compassion towards their, son, their sin-sick souls. Pray for them. God, give me a word as, as I stand up against the, the atheists in my family or stand up against the, the false teaching in my family or, or stand up against the, those who have been taken in by the prosperity gospel. Help me to speak the truth, Lord. Luke makes this connection between prayer and evangelism all throughout the book of Acts. I'll give you a couple examples first. In Acts chapter 4, Luke writes, When they had prayed, the place that they were assembled was shaken, and they all became filled with the Spirit and began to speak the Word of God boldly. And then later in Acts 19, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly 
over a period of three months, urging and persuading them about the kingdom of God. You see that connection between prayer, boldness, and evangelism? Friend, do you regularly pray for the souls of those around you? Remember, salvation is by grace alone and not by works. It will not happen unless the Lord does it. You know, one way that I could just encourage you to pray is pray for the children of Catonsville Baptist Church. Well, the last page of, the, of the, that membership directory. Pray for their souls. Pray that God would save them. That he would do a work in their life. That he would redeem them. Pray, 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 pray. Paul asked for evangelistic prayers. He prayed that the gospel would go forward, that this message of reconciliation would, would march on. Even though he was chained, even though he was pushed out of sight, the message marched forward. But if we remind ourselves that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, we will not go about this world without regular and consistent and diligent prayer. Let us then stand firm in the Lord as we persistently and comprehensively depend on God in prayer. Let us be a congregation that devotes time to prayer. I'll, I'll end with a, a couple of things, a couple of illustrations. Number one, I want you to know that I'm teaching you every week to be a people who pray. Not through preaching, but through the order of the service. Sometimes you might get an opportunity to visit other churches. I do on occasion. And one of the things that irritates me more than the bad sermon is the lack of prayer. I mean, I've gone to big churches, small churches, and, and, and it just seems that there's this not a sense of urgency to pray. Be thankful for the men who come and stand before you and help you pray every week. To teach you how to pray a prayer of praise. Not asking God of anything, but just praising him for who he is. Teaching you how to pray confessionally. How to confess your sins. How to give some, some feet to those confessions. To petition God. To thank God. Friend, all of this is meant to teach you and I how to, to be diligent in our prayer. Let us pray continually, not briefly. Let us cultivate a time of, of prayer that's worshipful, not, not filled with drudgery. Let us be comprehensive, not careless. Alert, not lazy. Intercessory, not selfish. Evangelistic, not useless. Let's be people who pray. I conclude with this. We started with Piper, we'll end with Piper. He writes this. Unless I'm badly mistaken... One of the main reasons so many of God's children do not have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't need to or don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, you don't just get up one summer morning and say, hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where you're going. Therefore, my simple exhortation is this. Let us take time this very day to rethink our priorities and how prayer fits in. Set a time. Set a place. Make this a day of turning to prayer for the glory of God 
and for the fullness of your joy. Let's pray. Father, we pray today, honestly, humbly, that we would be people who pray. Yesterday's gone. We can't change yesterday's prayerlessness or the day before. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day that we can begin to pray. But Lord, we, we ask that you would give us the strength, the words, sense of urgency to pray. Whether it's 30 seconds or 30 minutes, cultivate in us a heart of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.